0: Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ Tanda and Tom. Welcome back, everyone. It's episode 69. It's a guest week, and we've got Paul from Copper Pig Fine Woodworking with us. Welcome to the show, Paul.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: Hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. Now, Paul, I- tell us what is your dominant skill set?
1: Uh, for this episode, I'm going to say my dominant skill set is design.
0: That, that makes Woo-hoo. it sound like you're, you're doing it There just was no, for us. There was
2: no coaching involved. Yeah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> but, but we're going to run with it um, for now. So tell us, uh, what skill class is design, Paul?
1: I think design is, uh, if we're doing a 1 to 10 scale, I think good design uh, comes later in development after you make a lot of mistakes and learn a lot of skills. Uh, and then design is sort of put, to me, is to putting it all together. So I'd say like a a seven.
0: A seven. Yeah. Makes mm-hmm. reasonable. I-, I thought it was going to be higher, but okay. Yeah. All right, so moving right along to history and fun facts. Uh, did you do any research on design that you want to share with us? I did. Uh,
1: so the research I did... Uh, I was trying to think about uh, you know, the history of design and what constitutes good design. Um, and so I came across uh, a German designer, Dieter Rams, who uh, is credited for a lot of his industrial design. He's a retired academic. And um, he, his belief was less but better. So I think we've heard that before with respect mm-hmm. to design. Less is more, right? I think mm-hmm. that's our respinning of that. And Dieter Rams came up mm-hmm. with ten principles of good design that I thought maybe we could go through. Mm-hmm. Is now the mm-hmm. time to go through them? Yeah,
0: this is the history yeah. and fun facts. Yeah, we're, we're we're ready for you.
1: Excellent. So his his ten principles of good design I think is a good jumping off point. Number one, good design is innovative. Meaning the possibilities for progression are not by any means exhausted that technology and good design uh, evolve synchronously together and that technology is does not inform the design, but more enables the design. So, so that's Hmm. number one design is innovative design. Number two is that design makes products useful. I think we can all agree to that whether it's useful meaning like a functional use or even an aesthetic function that makes us feel good when we see it right that's a use Mm -hmm. number three uh design is aesthetic and i think we all agree that having a nice aesthetic is important to any good design right because you want to look at it it makes you feel good when you look at it it looks tight it looks right yeah number four it makes a product understandable You know, sometimes you look at something and you're not exactly sure what it is, but sometimes you look at something and it's very intuitive and how to use it is intuitive. And I think that's what he's getting at with, it's understandable, you know, how to use it and what it'll do for you. Number five is that it's unobtrusive. Um, This one, I don't know if I agree with. It says, products fulfilling a purpose are like tools they are neither decorative objects nor works of art their design should therefore be both neutral and restrained to leave room for the user's self-expression
0: well mm.
2: huh.
1: i don't, I don't agree really with agree that. with that because there, I a few good di- there are a few ways you
2: could interpret that though i mean you could you could get a tool that was so ornate that you f- you felt like you shouldn't use it like maybe it should just be on a shelf and that mm-hmm. would kind of be obtrusive that would be like well this hand plane or this thing is is so nice I will never use it as a hand plane so you know in some ways maybe something can be designed in such a way that and that would be very much dependent on your own personality whether you chose to use it or not but but see,
0: that's that, that. If you look at like all the all the old vintage stuff that I have, like the the Delta drill press that I have, that's blue and gold. I mean, that thing is designed. It looks like a sculpture. The way it's all curvy and, and it's got all the Art Deco lines in it. And I I made it look way better than the original. And I use it whenever I want. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so like I think
2: just, yeah, so I think very much that one is is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, I think I it's yeah,
1: yeah. I didn't really resonate with that one. Uh, you know, I think it being artistic mm. and you know beautiful is part of great design.
3: Maybe there's maybe it's just drawing a line between design and artistry, mm. and I don't know. I I don't necessarily agree with it either. Or but may, maybe adding
2: that. features for art's sake that are not useful I, I might like become was, obtrusive yeah. or something.
3: Yeah, I feel like there was something lost in translation.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think if
1: you're a German designer thinking about like like uh, functional products for the home. He's thinking it's going to be tight. It's going to be off in the corner and it's not going to impede that user's experience, but we're more thinking, well, you buy it because it has that artistic value, right? So you don't want to, get right. rid of, you don't want to erase that. So I think we're just coming from different points of view.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, number six, design is honest. It does not make a product appear more innovative or powerful than it actually is.
0: Oh, I disagree with that. I disagree. There's a lot of stuff that, that gets designed that's to trick people. So yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that. Well, yeah,
2: but right, it shouldn't. But design. it shouldn't
3: be. Good design is honest. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, there's uh, there's things that I mean. Hey, I I'll be the first to admit I got suckered into buying a pair of counterfeit Air, Apple AirPods. They looked identical to the originals, at, to the point where I called Apple for support. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, well, oh what's the serial gosh. number? And I'm like looking where they're telling me, and they're like, I'm like, oh, uh, I'll have to call you back. Wow. That's
1: not really so, good
2: design. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Air blobs. Okay.
1: Um,
3: Wish there was a product for that.
1: Good design is uh, number seven. Good design is long-lasting. It avoids being fashionable and therefore never appears
0: antiquated. I I agree with that to a point. I think that has to do with more materials. Uh, Unless you're just talking about when Mm. you say long lasting, you mean trendy, like the trend is long. Um, But like, when I think of something lasting a long time, I'm thinking durability. I guess they they're
1: talking about timeless design. You know, there's certain designs that you know are sort of timeless yeah.
2: and never That's really trend. You still see white refrigerators yeah. but Sh- rarely see Shaker harvest furniture. harvest gold refrigerators. Yeah. So there's that's <laughs> yeah. a
0: classic classic trend, a classic design that's timeless. Something that's timeless. Yeah, I agree right. with that too, Yeah.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. number eight, good design is thorough down to every detail. Nothing yeah. must be arbitrary or left to chance care and accuracy in the design process show respect towards the consumer i agree with that yeah mm-hmm. i like it yeah I like it. number nine it's environmentally friendly design makes an important contribution to the preservation of the environment it conserves resources and minimizes physical and visual pollution throughout the life cycle of the product mm-hmm. i would,
0: that would say that's hard ideal to disagree with yeah i uh, that's <laughs> ideal but, with, yeah,
3: but
2: yeah
0: that that, that doesn't occur Everything a lot is made. yeah
3: Everything is made out of plastic. Although, yeah.
2: well, and and you could argue that you know if the criteria of your design is to make something as cheaply and quickly as possible, if that's what mm-hmm. you've been tasked with, then it, those two may be in conflict. Yeah. Yeah. A, a good economical bottle design might be difficult to make from reusable materials.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay,
2: or and number Something ten? that's that's okay, good looking.
0: Go No, no, no. I was just saying to make something that's good looking, like design wise and ecologically, you know, uh, zero, like carbon neutral might not always be possible.
1: Okay, and number 10. Good design is as little design as possible. Less is more simple as possible, but not simpler. Good design elevates the essential functions of a product
0: i am gonna say I think that a good design is a balanced design. I don't think that less is more. I think that you know if it's balanced, then that's the goal uh If something is too busy it's definitely overwhelm you for sure
2: and and certainly elevating mm-hmm. the primary function of the design over adding other features just just to put other bullet points on the box is is definitely a win
4: mm.
1: So that's the that's those ten I, I thought that was an interesting little thought experiment to go through those ten rules of design in reference yeah, to no, that was good. what all of
2: probably, us make. Probably make. better than any any research I've I've done to date on this segment of the show.
0: Speaking of which Tom, what's your research?
3: Yeah, I tried to look up Feng Shui and give you some tidbit, but I I, I failed miserably. My life has been consumed with real estate and if you want to talk about the design of the real estate market, I got all night, but maybe we it's should move It's designed on to, to mess with you, Tom. It's awful. You know what? I can't ignore it. I can't ignore it. If I were buying a refrigerator oh on a Facebook Marketplace, Here we go. I would ask a hundred questions before I bought that refrigerator. But when you buy a house, when you buy a house, you buy 17 appliances and you don't get to ask any questions. <laughs> He's really
0: bothered by this.
3: All right, so move, mute me and just go to Tanda. Does that, that refrigerator your work?
2: <laughs> You're buying a house. Who cares?
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. So he, he's not going to stop. Tanda, what what did you find in your research?
2: Oh, I researched design superstitions. What'd you find? And, um, well, actually, I saw. I found designer superstitions. Really, these are these are people who are kind of known in the designer art world and, uh, and some of their superstitions. So I'll just run through a couple. Um, oh, wait, wait,
0: I, th- I thought you were talking about, they were making designer superstitions. Like they were custom to order uh, that I'd be really interested. <laughs> these are, in. these are
2: like gold, gold leaf. I, they have gold leaf on them. They're superstitions. I made designer uh, superstitions last week. Yeah, Made, made of hand carved pieces. Mm. Um, now this is, a uh, like, uh, Coco Chanel was told by a fortune teller that five was her lucky number, and she named her famed fragrance accordingly and had lots of fives in her life because a fortune teller had told her that. Mm -hmm. Um, Pablo Picasso, and I think we talked about this one episode, would not throw away his old clothes, hair trimmings, or fingernail clippings for fear it would mean losing part of his essence. So I think we, Mm -hmm. we touched on that one before. Charles Dickens carried a navigational compass with him at all times and always faced north while he slept. Uh, (laughs) Practice he believed improved his creativity in writing. Okay. Uh, This one just sounds like an excuse for being a pyro to me. I'll let you guys decide. Um, Yoko Ono, renowned multimedia artist and peace activist, Yoko Ono was very sensitive to sound and light when she was young. Ono discovered that lighting a match and watching the flame extinguish in a dark room gave her a sense of relief. She said she would repeat this ritual sometimes in front of her sister continuously until she calmed down.
0: Uh, As a former pyro, (laughs) um, I'm going to answer this. Mm -hmm. She's just crazy.
3: Yeah, yeah. Once a pyro, always a pyro. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I'm going to skip over a couple of these. Uh, Dr. Seuss, author and illustrator Theodore Geisel, Seuss Geisel, better known as Doctor Seuss, kept an immense collection of nearly three hundred hats. When facing writer's block, the place Doctor Seuss would go was his secret closet where he would choose a hat to wear until he felt inspired. His whimsical I, I, habits helped him create some of the most popular children's books.
0: I gotta I gotta say, great. if he's storing three hundred hats somewhere, I'm willing to bet it's not a secret.
2: Yeah, his big secret <laughs> closet. Yeah, it's like yeah. a secret two rooms of his house. Probably. Yeah, uh, Spanish surrealist painter Salvador Dali considered himself to be very superstitious and carried around a little piece of Spanish driftwood mm-hmm. to help him ward off evil spirits. And so, yeah. that was uh, he had many idiosyncrasies, but that was that was one of them. So those were a few that I f- I found that were uh, designers and artists who had uh, interesting superstitions.
0: Well, <clears throat> other than you, you you're repeating the ones I covered on the art episode, that was pretty good. I yeah,
2: I think it was pretty much the same web page. And after I got a couple in, I thought, well, maybe I'll read them differently, maybe add a little different inflection.
0: Mm, mm. Yeah. Did it work? Uh, oh, well, I thought you were going to do it differently.
3: It's always it's always new for me though, so I appreciate. Yeah, Tom it. doesn't
2: <laughs> listen to the show and doesn't pay attention to PJ, so it's always new for Tom. So at least I have right for, at show, least I have an audience of one, or the recording. did yeah. oh,
1: two, I'm still here.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I thought. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, thanks. I thought, oh, yes, hey. thought maybe I thought maybe you had listened to the show before, but uh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. I I I started reading those, and then I thought. At least one of these I know PJ's done before, but I'm just gonna lean into it. What
3: what Wait did you to find, Tom?
2: Minute. Oh no, Tom's still doing real estate.
3: No, I already I already got out of my, my homework. Moving on.
2: Well that and I knew PJ wouldn't take it because he's already done it. So I I knew I knew I wouldn't <laughs> step on his his stuff.
3: Yeah, but you know he found some list of fifty items to talk about. What do you got, PJ?
2: I've got four
0: hundred design superstitions. <laughs> No, I didn't do superstitions. Um, I found uh, two different things. One's really long, and one's really short. So I'm going to give Paul the the option to choose here. We've either got ten things you didn't know about Herman Miller furniture or something else.
1: I like
3: Herman Miller. Something else? I like Herman Miller. Something else is,
0: is short, so... He's saying he likes Herman Miller.
2: Let's hear the the ten things you didn't know about Herman
3: Miller. Door number two.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so number three, my lord. uh, While uh, you you know Herman Miller sounds like you know it's a dude that that started this company, but actually uh, the company was started by this guy named um, Robert Propst, and uh, he's Herman Miller is credited. Number one, they're credited for creating the office cubicle, and uh, it was originally supposed—it was originally called the uh, the action office—and it was supposed to uh, increase like work productivity, and instead, it had the the opposite effect. <laughs> so, so that's uh, I didn't know that Herman
2: Miller created that. Maybe there was a short time where everybody was just, like, out on a factory floor and putting a little partition around them made them feel like they had their own private office and gave them a boost initially. Well, it could be. But they're still – it says here that
0: the the office cubicles have generated $5 billion in sale to date, and um, they're still working to improve. They have a section of the business called their living office series that they're constantly trying to create better healthier workspaces. So is it too
1: late to pick door
0: number 2? <laughs> never too late to go back, Paul. It's never Did too you late. But I'm was not a going shorter, to shorter more
1: interesting option because I'm going to take that.
0: <laughs> I don't know. What should I should I should I bend to his whims, Tanda? Yeah. Definitely.
2: He's the guest yes all right You're fine weak. this right, is the it. only time you will ever be derailed tom and i are never going to be able to derail you that's true so the no. guest made a request okay so the Shipping one
0: in the armor uh the one thing that i found that was short i was thinking of interesting designs for things mm-hmm. and i was thinking about the rubik's cube and i was like i wonder where that came from and the guy that designed the rubik's cube is erno rubik uh in 1974. And He's a Hungarian sculptor and professor of architecture, and mm-hmm. he's the one that designed the Rubik's Cube. So that's—I don't know—it seems like a real simple design, but uh, that was real the quick, short one. Do you one. know
3: what? Do you know what the world? Do you know what the world rep, record Rubik's Cube time is? One point like, five seconds. Huh.
2: One point five ridiculous seconds, like that, like yeah, ten seconds or yeah, something. Yeah, I'm looking at like I, faster than you could actually rotate the cube that many times yeah
3: yeah 3.47 seconds wow. is the current record yeah and i am i'm very proud to say this but i have done the rubik's cube in one minute and four seconds That's impressive. a whole minute slower which it is impressive is. but we've done we've had like this conversation on really the show hard. before and it's just really weird because
2: yeah. tom is incredulous that i come from a generation where rubik's cube wasn't a how fast you can solve it. And you just look up, you know, the patterns to solve it. You bought it and you had no instruction. No, nobody had ever solved it before you. And so you just <laughs> sat there with it until you figured it out. You, you, you couldn't look it up. You couldn't, you know, there was not a cheat sheet. There was no, you bought it, it was scrambled or you scrambled it up. And then, and then you were on your own.
3: I'm still amazed, Tanda, that nobody knew how to use the internet in those days, I just—it was right there in front of you.
2: Yeah, the whole time. It. 1974 it's a mystery.
3: 74 Internet. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a mystery.
0: Well, uh, well, that's it for history and fun facts. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. Well, despite being in the middle of the winter and the dry season, I thought we were going to go another week without a deal, but Paul said. He's got a good deal story that he wanted to tell us. Lay it I on us, Paul. I would love to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think, you know, woodworkers who have some interest in getting to uh, work with veneer may like this story. So, you know, uh, veneering is sort of a subspecialty, right? Um, it enables all kinds of artistic options. And the question is, well, where do you buy your veneer? What veneer do you buy? How many different species are there? You know, it, it, it almost is like hard, hard to approach veneer as a, you know, how to get into it. Well, I was at that point and I was on, I asked a few of my friends. I said, where'd you get your veneer? And they said, uh, one of them pointed me to joewoodworker.com. And I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And I, I did. I checked out that website. And Joe Woodworker was selling boxes, big boxes of veneer, like so many like linear feet of it for like a flat fee. And he, they, they said, trust us, you know, it's a, it's a hundred dollars a box and we're gonna fill it to the brim with veneers and it'll some will be really ornate, really highly figured, some will be really boring stuff. And you actually need both. The boring stuff is actually important for like backer veneers, or if you you know laminate mm-hmm. things in different directions. You actually need you know sometimes you need boring veneer, uh, but often on the show surface you like to have the highly figured. And so it's like trust us for a hundred bucks we'll send you a box of veneer. And I was like, man, let's roll the dice. So uh, I bought a box, and I could not believe the amount of veneer and how good it was for a hundred bucks. I was stunned i was like this is amazing cool. like i have so much veneer i don't know if i'll ever go through it you know i because i use it fairly uh, uh, rarely or you know a couple times a year i'll use it but i have th- I, I bought it three times i have the most wow. incredible veneer collection and each box cost me about a 100 bucks and i said to joe woodworker I, I sent him an email at one point and i'm like this is amazing by the way your selection that you sent me was on point He's like, yeah, well, I typically lose a little money doing it, but it's good for the business. You know, I just, you know, sometimes I, I take all the assorted lots I have left over and I just assemble them in the box and just sell them by, you know, by linear feet. And he's like, I can't afford to do it often, but um, you know, I'll make you a couple boxes and it was the best deal ever. And oh, I was so thrilled and I have these beautiful boxes of the most, ama- I don't even know what half the species are, half the, and they're so ornate and they're so beautiful. Best deal ever.
0: That's great. Joe Blue Booker is not a sponsor of the Maker Skills podcast, so
3: it's not it's not always available. It's not always yeah, available. Yeah,
1: it. that was not that was not <laughs> an ad. This is just my good uh, my good. No, yeah, uh, they're not always available. But what, you know, at the time, I was watching like a hawk because I had only one box, and now I have three, and I have enough veneer for the for the next uh, Interesting. decades. But that's
0: pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it's great.
0: I have this, this sort it's of love-hate relationship with veneer. I, I'm I'm interested in it for certain, like, uh, I don't know if lamination purposes is the correct. I don't like veneers on things because I feel like if you aren't super careful, then you can sand right through the veneer and then it's ruined. Or, you know, even if you apply it correctly over time, you know, things get banged around and then veneers will chip off. I like stuff that's kind of solid, But then you get into that, you know, like sometimes you're gluing several layers of veneers together to get curved shapes and things, and that's like you need the veneers. So it's kind of like,
3: eh, they're sort of useful, but eh. I went to to Italy uh, years and years ago with my, she wasn't my wife at the time, but uh, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, and we went to, I forget what town we were in, but we went to a place that made veneered furniture. Like, furniture with decorative, decorative stuff all over it. And the it was in basically in the wood workshop with, like, a warehouse attached. And they just had stuff everywhere. And, like, layers and layers and layers on top of each other to create these patterns and, and uh, pictures, for lack of a better term. And somebody asked a question, like, oh, where do you get your woods from? And he holds up he holds up this brown piece of veneer, and he goes, oh, this is American walnut. And we're, we're all Americans on this trip to Italy, and we're like, oh, that's super That's boring. exotic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's exotic Imported to them. stuff. We're like, oh, right. I could have brought you some of that. But um, I bought a cigar, a small humidor, which I don't use as a humidor because a small humidor is kind of useless. But anyways, um, and it's got like a veneered cigar on it and stuff. And, uh, it's pretty cool. I've never, I've never, I'll be honest, I've never wanted to do it, but I feel like I just haven't had the right thing to do it for, right? Is that, yeah, you're shaking your head. I like it. Yeah, so So, there's two things I want to add about veneer. Number one is it enables
1: certain artistic expression that you can't do with hardwood often. You just cannot because of expansion contraction. You just can't do it out of hardwood mm. all the time. So veneer, in a way, frees you up artistically to pursue like marquetry. Right? Marquetry is all veneer. Mm-hmm. So so from an artistic standpoint, it actually frees you up. And the second thing I want to say is veneer has gotten a bad name in modern times, and that's because of all the plastic veneers on sort of garbage furniture. Everyone's like, oh, veneer is not quality. No, that's oh, not true. The word is bad. You mm-hmm. know, veneer is quality we have examples from you know the Chippendale period of you know veneers go hundred, they go centuries if treated properly and conserved properly so veneer is not necessarily a bad word it just has to be done correctly you know in the fine furniture lexicon and it has to be you know preserved and conserved every century century and a half to make sure any chips or any release of the glue get, can be re-adhered. And that also requires things like hide glue and not yellow glue. So you can reverse the, the glues and re-glue it, you know, things like
0: that. So that, huh. that reminds me of, of one of the other things, which I, I'm not familiar with the term marquetry. Is that related to inlay work? Yeah. That's where
1: you create a picture out of uh veneer, uh, wood veneers.
0: Okay. So that's the other thing that I kind of is, am leaning towards was I, I know that it makes, Doing that sort of work easier than if you were to do it out of like regular pieces of wood because Correct. you can cut veneer with like an exacto blade. You exactly. know, it's it's yeah. you can get very detailed. That's right. So, yeah, there's I think uh, I'll, I'll come over and you can give me one of the boxes and I'll, I'll play with it. You yeah. know,
2: I think it, one, I, I think it's one of those things like when you buy like the metal drops or something, it, it gives you enough of it that it no longer feels prized. So I think the sort of thing where you like buy the $100 box of veneer, then you would you'd feel okay experimenting with veneer because it doesn't feel yeah. scarce anymore. And so I think that's also a win in that situation because then it's like, well, now veneers don't seem scarce to me, so I'll try a veneer where I would have otherwise been like, oh, that's my special veneer I'm saving for the next 50 years and never mm-hmm. using.
3: Yeah. Kling Spore also sells sandpaper that way, and you could make like a nice sandpaper marketry thing. I wonder if mm. wonder if that would look nice. Yeah,
2: cool. you just you lay down a whole bunch of uh, like Velcro, and then and then you can change it out. Right, you get the yeah, you get the Velcro exactly. backed, and then you could make you know a, a changing mural. That's true. Yeah, you yeah. could rub, you to could, the
1: next level. You could rub yourself on it and exfoliate, and. Right.
3: It's good for, um, you know, instead of a pumice stone or something. I
0: think we're getting off topic here. We're getting off topic. Maybe. maybe We're going to move on. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. All right. It's time for personal history. Paul, why don't you tell us how you got started with design? Where, Where was the beginning?
1: Well, uh... So I feel like there's two ways to approach design one is like, oh, you know I went to art school and I learned all about art and design and then I picked a medium and then went into that medium Right. That's like one path, Mm
4: -hmm. but that's
1: not my path And I I don't think that's your path either. Our path is more like, oh, I learned woodworking and uh, I copied a lot of stuff, you know, I did the usual cutting boards and mission furniture and then you have this critical uh, existential crisis, which is like, all right, so I've been copying the designs of the past for the last however many years. Why haven't I designed something novel that is my own voice? Why am I giving up the opportunity to design what I think looks good? And so uh, that's how I got into design, is I had about 10 years of learning woodworking execution, learning how to woodwork and how to do it well. And then I had an existential crisis about the Mm -hmm. design. And then I switched over entirely, almost really. I threw it all away and I said, what do I wanna make and what is my voice? And that's when I started Copper Pig. Um, And I, I, I used to make furniture for, for 10 years I learned how to make furniture I was making you know period furniture I even made a William and Mary high chest you know with all the you know turned legs and and all the you know adornments you know, proper for that period and it was getting you know execution to a high level and then I said well I have to learn design and I said I don't know anything about design what the do I know about the design when when on when did I have time to learn design uh, I was too busy learning how to do woodworking and how to build things that don't break apart. So uh, I started at ground zero and I said, you know what? If I'm going to figure out design, I need a lot of repetition, a lot of touches, right? a lot of tr- attempts. And that means I can't be building furniture that takes me 350 hours per piece. I need to be making smalls so I can try Instead of five mm-hmm. ideas a year, I can try fifty ideas or a hundred mm-hmm. ideas a mm-hmm. year, and I can figure out what looks good and what doesn't, what resonates with me, what resonates with the people that buy my pieces, and what doesn't. And so that's sort of how I got into design.
0: I noticed that uh, a lot of your stuff, Paul, has sort of a, let's say, an Asian theme to it. Uh, where did that stem from?
1: I, it, you know. Um, <laughs> That's a, When I started, um, well, I actually, I, I should, I, there's a story. So uh, I went to the MFA in Boston. And uh, this is around the time of my existential crisis, switching from executor to designer. I went to the MFA and there was um, an exhibit on Takashi Murakami. Are any of you familiar with him? No, no. OK, so he's a Japanese artist and he uh, he his creativity is unlike anything I've ever seen. <laughs> so I walked into this exhibit. I didn't know it was there. It would just happened to be there the day I went. I went to look at the furniture, right? Boring ass, you know, no, not boring furniture, but you know what I mean? I just went to see all the period furniture yeah. and I saw this uh, this art exhibit Takashi Kimura Kami. and I walked in and it was like. It was like almost like a turning point in my life. I was so stunned by the artistic creativity of this person. My life was never the same after what he was doing is he was taking pieces of Japanese art that had been done in the 1700s or the 1600s and reimagining them in dazzling visual ways with creativity exploding at a level that it, it was almost stunning to me as the observer. And I was changed seeing that exhibit. And I thought, oh my God, I need to, this is where I need to go. I need to do, I need to design like this. I need to take the old and reimagine it in in cool and interesting ways. And so uh, it, it, it turns out he is Japanese and the Japanese aesthetic very much appeals to me. All their patterns, like, you know, the wave pattern you guys know sagawa and asanwa and the the hemp leaf pattern and just the japanese patterns really resonate with me and so what i started doing is 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 exploring japanese art history and incorporating it into my work
0: that's very cool i i too have a love for the japanese design and style um but we won't get into me uh is there is there anything that you're doing now uh that you you feel like you've kind of peaked because I know you've, you've, you've kind of, you've, your designs kind of walk around a little bit. You know, if we look through your Instagram feed, um, there's, there's very high quality. And I told, I told Tanda and Tom last week when we were about to invite you on, I said, there's a lot of makers out there, but there's like, you know, they make nice things. Paul stuff is the only stuff I'd actually pay for. You know, oh, like you. your your stuff is is mm, top yeah. shelf, and
3: but he won't, Paul. Don't don't get it. <laughs> he, he, he still won't. If, if he I were might. going he to
2: pay for something,
3: but he then, would. Yeah, That's
0: I, so I might kind. Though, Thank you. Thank you. I DJ. might come That's up so with fun. a little cash for something. You know, once I actually have space for something. Um, but yeah, there's <laughs> there's a lot of things where you see other people making stuff, and you're like, oh, I could do that. You know, I could do that if I put enough time. I could make something looks that good. You know. And then you, you come across like your stuff and you're just like, this is amazing stuff. This oh, is like dude. something I would wanna have, not just because I know I could make it, but I want it because Paul made it. Oh, dude, that's not only so, is it good, but it's, you know, it's like a work of art.
2: I, I look at it. Paul's stuff and I think, if I were to take a chisel and try to make a cut like that so that I could repair that where it was completely invisible, I would make it so much worse, no one could repair it. I, and maybe that just speaks to the, the level of sharpening of my chisels or something. But uh, I, I look at all of these, like, little repair and how to hide the little, and I think I would probably make that worse than it was before I started trying to, to repair it. So do you find, I mean, going back to your first story, do you find that that you can't do one or the other? Even if you go the design school route, you may learn all the design on the front end. But then you still have to become the executor or you, I mean, I mean, there are artists that hire executors and they just deliver the, you know, deliver the concept and have an executor make it. But if you're a one person, I think you kind of have to do both, whichever the order you kind of end up having to do both anyway.
1: I agree absolutely yeah, yeah. because uh, pj by the way what you said was so kind uh, you have to execute at a level that is high or you want to execute at a level that is high right and that takes how long does it take to learn learn woodworking i mean a lot of years to get good at it you know mm-hmm. and so the execution is not to be minimized i spent 10 to 12 years going after that as as hard as I could, you know, to as high of a level as I could. At that point, I switched to design. And now I've been going at that for about four to five years as hard as I can. And if I could rate the two about which is harder, design is actually harder. Because execution has sort of a rule book. It's like, oh, you want to do dovetails? Here's the 10 things you need to do to do dovetails. You know take your marking gauge use your chisels like this cut to the line you know there's like a recipe now with design and the kind of design I'm talking about is like more art, art inspired design there are some kind of guiding rules but that doesn't give you a design in the end that's good like if you follow the rules of the dovetail you'll have a good dovetail if you follow the principles mm-hmm. of design, you might not necessarily have a good design. There's so much more subjectivity to it. And I've, I think design, to me, is the real Mount Everest of my life. Like, I'm, I'm in it five years, and I feel like I am 1% of the way of what a really mm-hmm. good designer could be. So I think one's much, much more difficult than the other.
0: Hmm. So That's interesting. This- that reminds me a lot about uh, a bonsai teacher that I had, um, who, who was Japanese. His name was um, Benoki. He's a little, little tiny, like a five foot tall guy, and uh, he's uh, world famous. He has, um, I think, he's got two gardens in uh, one of the museums in Washington. Uh, he's um, he's known all over the place. I don't know if he's still around. Uh, um, he was he was very old when he was. Uh, I took some of his classes. But he made a point of saying how you have to know the rules first in order to understand how to break them. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's the Mm -hmm. key with design. If you're just following the rules, um, you're not really gonna do anything innovative. But if you understand them at a deeper level, then you know where you can push things to create something new that hasn't previously existed, even if it's just altering something slightly, that new take is what then becomes a trend. And I think that that has something to do with any, not just design, but any art in general. Um, when you you were talking specifically about um, learning the woodworking and then moving into design and that the woodworking is very easy and functional, uh, I immediately thought about um, when I've done when I was doing artwork very early on like you know ho- high school college, um, I was very technically skilled but I had no inspiration whatsoever. And it wasn't until years later that I, I met a, a master artisan uh, by the name of Kendall Shaw who was an abstract artist. I did uh, several miniature documentaries on him with a, with a film client and his passion for abstraction and the way he explained it, Just totally unfolded my view of how that works. Up until that point, like you said, like when you went to the exhibit for that Japanese artist, you hadn't seen anything like that before. No one had ever explained abstract art to me in that it was a story, like a moving story in this sort of almost, if you think of it, like a blurred set of colors. And then once I started to see that, I started to, it like, brought back up all those things that I I knew, I, you know, that I'd done in the past, and I'm like, oh, I wasn't doing well with these because that wasn't where I should have been focusing. They, like, no one had introduced mm-hmm. me to the thing that would spark the fire, that would get, like, you know, the design or the innovation going. Yeah. And um, and I've been doing a- abstract artwork ever since, you know, for, like, the past um, 11, 12 years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you, you all you need is that one thing. But, again, you need that rule set first so that you understand, you know, right. um, when you're going to experiment, you don't just end up with something that's terrible. You know, you're, you're trying to go within certain guidelines, but different.
1: I, I'd like to read a definition of design that I think, you know, echoes what you just said. And I think th- this particular definition of design really spoke to me. It's by Paul Rand, who's a graphic designer and teacher. And they said, To design is much more than simply to assemble something. It is to add value and meaning to a piece. To illuminate, to simplify, to clarify or modify, to dignify, to dramatize, to persuade or even perhaps to amuse. And to me, like... Hmm. Design tries to do all those things. Perhaps you don't do all of them in one piece. Some are, you know, some amuse, right? Some designs amuse people, some persuade people, some dramatize a certain element. I just thought that is such a a beautiful, encompassing uh, definition of what design could be that, you know, we're always trying to elicit feelings from the the user or the owner or the viewer using our, our design skills.
0: That's that's the definition of art. Art is used when you create something is to elicit a feeling, an emotional response. Mm-hmm. And speaking of emotional responses, Tom, you want to give us your your <laughs> personal history on design, or, or or what you didn't give us last time we covered design?
3: Uh, I don't remember what I gave last time. I don't listen to myself talk either. Um, I mean, most of my design stuff has come recently with all the three D printing things, and but it's more it's more inventing than design even though there's design involved like the goal isn't to design something it's not about the design it's about the f- functionality for it for my specific reason right um, and a lot of it hinges on producing that item in a in an affordable way um I don't know tom can i ask a good question
1: yeah is that more like functional design versus artistic design
3: well I, yes for sure like sometimes my things are so simple that they're not even worth doing because the solution was so the solution was a paperweight you know you don't need anything fancy for a paperweight. Now, you could have an artistic paperweight that somebody spends $1,000 on, and that's great. Um, but I, that's not my interest right now. Does that make sense? Like, not mm-hmm. it's not my interest to create that. Um, I might see something like that and want to spend $1,000 on a paperweight. But, um, you know, like, the thing I've been messing with the most lately is this this frog pot. It's a, um, It's a magnetic... Camera mount, light mount, um, and it's flexible and it can cling to just about any surface. Right. And it's about as simple as it can get. Um, and I have trouble at this point where it's so simple that there's almost nothing unique about it other than its function. Right. Right. And I'm like, how do I make this, you know, and the fact like I made it green, I called it a frog pod. But those things are just; those are so superficial. Like that's marketing. That's not. It can, design, right? Yeah. Um, but if it had l-
2: little bulbous, um, gecko-looking fingers instead of just round, th- then then sure. that might speak to someone or make. And then it's hard to say: is that is that design because it it illuminates the design, or or is it just marketing a marketing ploy? And so it gets tricky to right. define where that where that sits
3: right yeah I, so yeah i'm not yeah you do something very different obviously um with what you create paul and it's a it's amazing i've actually on your website just like stalking you real quick while we were all chatting um i want one of your um i want one of your uh i don't even know what they're called uh, the the chopstick serving tray i don't know what else to call it serving boards Mm -hmm. yeah they're so cool anyways (laughs) um you know so i have trouble with that phase where it's like it's like oh it's just a thing now actually um hold on i have to get it two seconds (laughs) and he's
0: off we've lost him people tom has disappeared like a magician only no he's back Oh no no! There he is. So
3: fast, so fast. I run so fast. Uh, <laughs> so this was—I made this a couple of years ago, and it was called the puck pod, and it's a hockey puck with a bunch of magnets and a quarter-twenty screw going through it, and it worked great. It holds a GoPro on the roof of my car, right? And then I was like, I need to 3D print this because I wasn't doing that when I created this. I wasn't doing this newer thing for me, newer, newer for me. And I—I I made it 3D printed and put magnets embedded in the bottom. And I looked at it and I went, this is, this is nothing. This is it's like, like there's nothing. Well, uh, yeah, I think, it's I think f- it, when you went from that, like Tom,
2: Tom's holding up a round puck, not much dissimilar from the original hockey puck oh, yeah. Sorry with magnets it. in it. Um, but to go from I that printed a hockey to puck. that, to your current frog pod with three legs and they're flexible and they fold, that's, that's design in my mind. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that
3: I, I will, I will take some credit. That was a huge leap, not only in function, but you know, the design of it, the fact that it could be related to an animal that, you know, like that's always a cool, a cool design goal to like, um, to like relate it to something in nature. I don't know. I don't know how else to express that. Biomimicry. Um, so, so now like, yeah. So like now the frog pod versus the puck pod is a more unique design, but it's still so simplistic that I've I'm dragging my feet because I feel like I just need something to add to it to make it better. It
0: needs or, it to light up, Tom. You need LEDs in there,
3: <laughs> <laughs> or or what, something what, what, to remove what? from it to make it
2: even more simple and elegant. Well, Tom, it sounds yeah, right? like you're not completely satisfied
1: with the aesthetics of it. That you you want there's some wow factor to it. That
3: it, it's a bit too too simple the wow it is too simple but it's it's so freaking functional right now if you haven't seen this i can you know this is just a light that i put on here right like a little two by two inch uh square light that you would buy for like your your iphone you you know your smartphone filming or something but i can take this and slap this on an irregular shaped metal object and it'll just stick there right like, that's what's cool about it. Like, I have this pole right in front of me holding my phone right now, and I can wrap this on a on a three-quarter inch metal pole and point it wherever I want it, and it's so... Like, the wow factor is in the demo, right? But it's not in the package, and I don't know what to do about it. And I'm not asking for a solution here. Right. I'm just... You're just saying that's where you're at, my at dilemma with the, design. Yeah. Yeah, you see it on a shelf, you're like what the hell is that? <laughs> you know? Um
0: we've all been trying to figure so that out, Tom.
3: It's true. Um So like as far as design like like Paul, I look at your things like a serving board looks like a serving board. You've made a very very unique collection of serving boards though. These look like nothing else I've seen. Um, maybe I haven't looked in this higher-end category for this type of thing before, but they're incredibly unique. They're pieces of art, and I want to eat sushi off of them. Um. <laughs> that's my favorite compliment. But, when someone um,
1: says something I make is art, I, you know, I, I get that f- fairly regularly now. Uh, that is the best compliment yeah. because I'm all about well, cause art. Because it is. Yeah. That's what really moves me is art. I just happen to work in wood. You know, That's my medium. But art is right. for me. Really, where it's at.
3: Yeah, no, and it is. It's undeniable. Um, it's not. That's not even subjective. That's it, it's art. I mean, I could make a serving tray in about four minutes in my garage for you, right? It, it's also called scrap wood, but uh, <laughs> uh, it would function. It would function just the same, wouldn't it? That would <laughs>
0: That'd be a design level two, is what uh, Tom's trying to say. I
3: hope I'm not stepping into insulting you at the moment. That's not the goal. Uh, but I'm saying, like, this is this is a showpiece, um, and, um, and it's just for one person. I and like it, yeah, it's, it's much
2: like more enjoyable than eating sushi off of, say, a shingle
3: well, that I'd you just put, like, found in a dumpster or something. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sanitary shingles well, are very difficult. That. they do sell that. You can buy, yeah. Like terracotta shingles for your uh, serving trays. Anyways, I don't know if I was headed to a point or not, but um, I think that's my current struggle with design, is I'm creating such simplistic forms, objects, that it's hard for me to um, find that extra thing that makes it matter, I guess.
0: Which will happen eventually, but not on this show, that's for sure. Nope.
3: Not yeah. on this show. No, this show is never useful or helpful.
0: No, that's not what we do here. Speaking of not useful or helpful, Tanda, you want to give us your present oh history God. with design? <laughs> that
3: was brutal. <laughs> I think I'm just so going to quit. <laughs> was, uh, I think, I think, no, that, I that think pretty we should walk out. Seriously,
2: that pretty much sums up my, my history of design as, <laughs> uh, you know, not, n- neither neither useful. No, no. um, um I don't I think I always stop short. I mean, listening to Tom speak, I think that I quite often stop short of entering a design phase. I think I'm maybe I'm still in the learning to execute phase or maybe I'm not even there yet. Maybe I'm on a completely different track where I'm I'm making something and probably as close as I get to what would be considered design. Is I'll come up with a design in a non non artistic sense for something that I'm making or something that needs to be made or I'm making it for a, a customer or for for work, and I keep iterating and iterating and iterating, and I'm usually trying to eliminate parts or I'm trying to come up with the way it could be done with a less expensive process or a way, and it just keeps becoming more and more simple. And at some point it's totally functional, but I'm still working on it. And that's probably Mm -hmm. as close as I come to design because then I start wanting to make it look nicer or I wanna see if I can make it where all the parts are symmetrical, which probably drives some of my coworkers nuts because they're like, let's just send it off and get them made. And I'm like, oh no, 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 no. I came up with a way where the entire assembly can be made out of two parts and they're mirrors of one another. So they're the same part and we just flip them over and it's, and it's completely symmetrical and you can make, Oh wait, no, 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 I've got it. You know? And I, and so those iterations <laughs> where I'm like, I can make this one better and I can make it where it has one less part or like I just did, <laughs> which is kind of funny because we call them sushi trays. Um, my coworker who <laughs> likes to name everything that I do with some some name to call, call it by. They're actually for annealing wafers in high-temperature ovens, but they're real low and flat stainless trays, and he calls them my sushi trays. Um, but I started out, it was numerous parts, and now it's, uh, let's see, it's one, two, three, four. It's four laser cut parts but it's like a total of 23 of those four parts and then you assemble them like a jigsaw puzzle to create these trays with little dividers and and i can remember coming up with like the idea that one of them is going to slot through um, and instead of just being spot welded on the back where it slots through it's going to protrude and become a foot that will not only stand it up off of the table, but that foot is positioned so that it locks it into the tray underneath if you stack them. And so at some point they were entirely functional. And then I just kept, kept going. And in my world, um, you know, that's, uh, I mean, maybe that would be considered design. In my world, I think this quote often gets uh, attributed to Stalin, I don't know who originally said it. But the quote that at some point you have to shoot the engineers and start production. Um, that that's how design gets viewed in my world. When it's entirely functional, you should be spending your time designing or building the next thing, creating the next thing instead of making this one better. Your job is not to make this one better. It works. move on.
0: so the the thing that comes across Tanda is you have this thing about efficiency of design. you're not you're not so much on the artistic side. You are like an efficiency master. Like, that is your goal. But I
2: think that's beautiful. I mean, I think duplication of the same thing over and over, where it's made the same way, and it's the same thing, and you can put them together. Or you can take a side and and flip it around. And maybe it has two odd holes in it um, that, that don't get used for the other part. But if you can make them... So, to me, that is... I, I just I get off on that on I mean that's that's beautiful to me if I can say look at this this stack of parts and they're only four different parts make this entire product
0: you um, like brain teasers that's why the whole process of of making this into this thing that real it's a challenge for you because there's not a lot of challenges like you you have so much you know know how at your fingertips there's not a lot of challenge so you create these like I bet I could do better
2: yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I've I I just built a a gripper that um, for that like a robot end effector, and I've probably sp- have I don't know how many hours of just laying at night thinking about uh, the next way to build it or the way to build it where I eliminate a pin or I eliminate, and finally I was still working on it and finally it was like we need it now it has to it has to actually you know be made and put on because the rest of the assembly won't work without it. And the night before I would have made design 371, whatever that was in my head, I came up with 372, and it was three parts. Um, and so, and then I'm like, man, if we would have had to make that two weeks ago, I would have had a much more inferior design. I'm so glad we, you know, I didn't, I wasn't forced to actually execute on that for two weeks. And so it's kind of this um, I don't know, wannabe design sort of thing. But it's kind of a different a different world. But that's that's kind of my my personal history of design. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's repeated in electronics, in machining, in you know, whatever material I'm working in. That same pattern has repeated forever.
0: I, I remember when you did that four uh, hundred and fifty third taco design. Um, it was it was delicious.
2: Oh yeah, sure. yeah yeah. There's no sense making tortillas flat to begin with.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Paul, did you What's have something your... you want to say?
1: Uh, well, it Tenda, it sounded like what it, there's an elegance to uh, taking a design and simplifying it into its most elegant, you know, component parts that interact with each other almost seamlessly like they're so perfect mm-hmm. together and you're you're refining down that funnel taking something that might be bulky or a little bit you know a, a little kind of clunky and making things more and more beautiful and elegant and subtle and streamlined through all of these iterations right it's it's industrial mm-hmm. design but there is there is an artistic and a simplification you know less is more you know you're really trying to get that optimum you know that optimum design where it's just perfect the least number of parts and they work together just flawlessly right Mm -hmm. i mean so i I get what you're saying and there is elements of that even in artistic design because you don't want art just screaming you know in every direction off a piece of woodworking or furniture there it has to be somewhat subtle somewhat balanced somewhat elegant right and the the problem you brought up is when do you stop and just say i'm gonna make it because you don't want to get you don't want analysis paralysis. Because yeah. Because then you don't make anything.
2: Well, and right? I have someone that, that makes me do that. I mean, it yeah. has to, at some point it has to go out in the world and do its thing. Right. But if I were in your shoes where I kind of could just keep working, I'd have to have something that, that I used some kind of trick for myself or so, some technique or some, something to use to, give me guidance on when I was done. (laughs) Let me tell you the two tricks. Number one Mm -hmm. is having
1: a customer with a deadline. That's trick number one. That's easy. The second trick is to tell yourself, listen, this is not the final end point. This is a milestone Mm. on my journey. And that is the milestone for 2022. It's where I am in my development. I might look at it two years from now and be like, that sucked. What a piece of shit. You know, and I'll be so upset with myself. But it's but as good what, as
2: Rev 271 was ever going to get. It, yeah.
1: At this time, <laughs> it, <it's, laughs> at this time, that was the best taco I could have made, and I did my best on that year. And maybe right. I'll build a better taco next year. But I have to—you have to force yourself to say this is just a waypoint on the journey, and I'm going to accept that.
2: Right. No, I, I, that's that's good. And I've, I've even read I, that there I, are certain personality types, of which I think I fall into that category, where it's like finishing something is like the death of that idea. And you don't want it to die. You want it to just keep being something you're working on forever. And so, yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I think those thoughts every time I dismantle something I previously made, and Like every time I take apart, it's usually shop furniture where I'm like, Oh, I don't need that anymore, but let me salvage the wood and make something else with it. And, and I'm just like astounded by how many screws I used at the certain point in my woodworking (laughs) until like now I haven't, I don't use screws anymore for the most part. And not that screws are bad. Like I still have my Craig jig and I still have whatever, but I It's just, it's so bizarre to, to get that glimpse into what I was thinking and how overbuilt some things are with just like two by fours and like, I could have cut those two by fours in half and made two tables, you know, (laughs) um, it's just fun to revisit those things and realize how much you sucked and how much you're going to think you suck in another five years.
2: Yeah, or you could flip that on its head and realize how far you've come. That might be a more positive oh, way. Not, no, yeah, it's not all negative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what's your history, PJ?
0: Well, I'm going to go with current design history, and um, I kind of—I don't know if Paul, if you've seen—I did these. These are uh, mimicked logo knobs for uh, these are for Delta drill pre, or Delta band so these are, this is a Delta yes. Rockwell and a Delta Milwaukee. And then here's um, two different uh, Rockwells, Rockwell designs, the newer and the older. And now these are um, mimicked copies of original badges that I just kind of... These are 3D printed out of different color filaments, so there's a little bit of an artistic value to them in that the those colors, to get them looking like that is it's not it's not straightforward you have to play with it a little bit but from that spawn these two which have not been released but um one of them is a uh, it's a cursive delta triangle with another triangle on the inside and then there's one that is gold black blue and red and this is my version of if you've ever seen the old delta quality tools water slide label that's rectangular uh, they had um, they didn't have a badge. like all those old tools just had this sort of banner logo. So I modified that design into this knob, which this is by the way, this is a failure. this this one I'm holding up i I, I didn't I stopped working on it because I designed uh, 16 different knobs, which took me like two months. and I, I've sold four. And uh, so
2: and for those those who are listening, if you haven't seen some of what PJ's been working on lately, these are three dimensional versions of the Delta logos uh that are 3D printed with multiple colors of filament. And you know, some are just a traditional Delta logo. The one he held up that said failure just says Puerto Rico or bust on it, I think. That's what yeah it said. Yeah. Um, yeah. So
0: there's, there's been a little bit of interpretation, but, you know, we start with like sort of the basic, what we know. And then I, I I evolved it uh, into something that is in that same sort of um, style uh, to a point, but I'll probably go back. There's, there's actually a few more designs that I wanted to do that I didn't get around to mostly because um, again, when it comes to like sort of let's say artistic license, sometimes things you do are, which to you are good, aren't openly accepted or aren't successful right away, or the word hasn't gotten out, however you want to look at it. Um, I've sold, like I said, I've had two sales. And the weird thing that I didn't think about, you know, when you're trying to make a product to sell, you're trying to imagine uh, the clientele you know, like who's gonna buy them and in and, and, and what quantities. And in my mind, there's four knobs for every bandsaw. So I thought, well, either somebody's gonna buy one because they want to accent it just, you know, one knob just to add some some flair on, or they're gonna buy a set of four. Both people that have bought sets bought two because the two on the top are the two that you see. Right. The two it's on like the bottom- like hubcaps on
2: the side of the car, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, so...
2: You only have to buy the matching set for one side of the car because that's all you're ever going to see at one time?
0: hmm Yeah, pretty much. So that was something that was completely unexpected, um, but it's something that, you know, it's a little bit of a, a lesson. Uh, and so that's, you know, unlike sort of the artistic side of things. Um, those were an interesting design. It, the other thing is when you're designing this in 3D software and then you take it to, you send it to like the slicer and then it goes to the 3D printer. The printer can't handle what the 3D software gives you in detail. Like what you see in the program is way more detailed than what the printer can do. So the the reason the one I hold, held up and showed you said it was a failure is because there's all parts of it where it didn't print properly, it got very blobby. Uh, it sort of, for lack of a better way of saying it, it blurred It blurred what was supposed to be very detailed, so I have to go back and and I had started to reduce everything to make it more clear, um, but I just kind of stopped when nothing was selling. I'm like, why am I doing all this? I'll work Mm -hmm. on something else instead. So, getting back to like the uh, sort of functional design, uh, here's something that I just finished, which I haven't. I did sort of did stories about it, but it wasn't done printing.
2: I think something interesting, if I can interject while you're grabbing that, is that, and maybe this is a common pattern, you're re- um, reimagining something, but in a media that you, you couldn't accu- accurately reproduce the stamped metal. And so Correct. you start out there trying to reproduce the stamped metal, knowing that you're going to have to evolve away from it to get the media you're working in to work. And then you come up with your own variation that works with whatever medium you're you know you're trying to implement it in so Mm -hmm. that uh, you know if you're taking a painting and then trying to make a piece of furniture based on it you have to evolve to some different you know way of doing it because you can't you know just paint on the furniture if you're making it out Mm of you know if you're doing marquetry or something so i think it'll be interesting to watch your evolution of Taking that design and then how does it look best, three D printed.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: So this is something I've talked about before. This is this this is the original part. This is a um, sort of like a dust shroud for an oscillating a delta oscillating spindle sander, and it's it's broken. Uh, you can see there's a hole in it here. Of course, the listeners can't see, but it's a very odd shaped thing. Uh, it's sort of almost like a, a dish with a chute attached to it. And it's got a bunch of um, screw hole placements and things. And uh, most of these were broken off and then super glued back on. And this, here's my replacement, which looks pretty much like it's almost the same exact shape. It's slightly different. Um, but if you look at the bottom uh, on the on the original, there are four tabs that uh-huh. hold in a washer and a piece of felt a felt ring, which is kind of like a seal. But on mine, uh, you can't really get that washer and seal off of the original without almost breaking the tabs. So I redesigned it so it's got sort of a half moon uh, shape on one side that you can slide it into like a slot, and then there's two tabs that you can put a plate on top of and screw it down and that will hold the washer in place. So mm-hmm. this is a modification I made that's sturdier and more user-friendly. Um, but in addition to that, all the screw tabs that I had broken off of the original, uh, I made double thickness so that they should not break. Uh, and then in addition to that, the, the part that originally broke off, which was the tube, I increased the interior diameter. So it's it's thicker than the original. So I made improvements to the design, in my mind, my opinion, uh, that should prevent the failure from happening again. Mm-hmm. And this is this is sort of tricky because I don't have the tool. All I have is the broken part. So some of the things I'm doing, I have to guess if the design alterations are going to interfere because this has to interface with an existing tool. I have to guess if... This is going to work, or if something I'm doing is actually going to make it not work because it's not the same size as the original. And um, this is going to uh, Duran Violins, who's been patiently waiting for it. This, this, because this is such a weird shape with so many different angles, um, it actually, my brain shut down at one point. It was like, you need to stop. So I just completely dropped it. It wasn't like it was difficult to understand. It was my brain needed a period to breathe. And then when I came back, I'm like, oh, okay, this was nothing. This was not, I just got a little overwhelmed because it was so different from everything else I've made. Which, for, for lack of a better explanation, all the other things I've designed in 3D software to this point were at 90 degree angles. You know, they, they could have been, you know, there might have been curves and circles involved, but all the curves were at a 90 degree angle. And this has, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is something like a 45-degree tube coming off of this flat plane. And it it was very, very, very difficult for my brain to transition that uh, to the computer. I knew what I wanted, but I didn't know how to use the tool properly. So every time I designed something in Fusion 360, I learned just a little bit more and it's starting to get to that point, like Tom told me this months and months ago, probably in September, I designed something and I probably had been working on it for like a couple days. And I, I showed it to Tom and I'm like, yeah, I'm having this problem. And he's like, oh, we'll just delete that and just make another one. And I'm like, nah, man, this took me days. He goes, dude, you're, you're gonna realize that eventually deleting it and starting over is gonna be quicker than trying to go back and fix each little thing. And at the time, I was like, oh, no, that's, that's never going to happen. But then I understand f- afterwards, after i have made several of them, that that is the quicker way. Because when you're first designing it, you're making all these mistakes. And then when you go back to do it again, it's just like Tanda says, you know, you're making that, that 300th revision. Well, even just revising it twice in a 3D environment when you know what you want it streamlines everything. And so that's that's the balance of design that I've been working on lately is uh, learning how to streamline stuff in addition to um, giving it, in some cases, some artistic value or some sort of pleasing um, value. I, I just did a, a thing, if you're familiar with Unisaw, the Delta Unisaw, I, I just did a, a little... Uh, release, I made the Delta Unisaw switch plate cover. And mm-hmm. I, I released it, and somebody <clears throat> said, Oh, well, man, this looks really great, but for a couple more bucks, I could just get a stainless steel one on eBay. Mm-hmm. And I said, You know what? You absolutely could, but that stainless steel one that's got the image printed on it that's silk screened on there is going to have the same problem as the original, which is you're going to bump into it and it's going to scratch off and then you're going to wind up with the same problem as the original. Mine is 3D printed. The colors will never rub off and the entire design is embossed. It's 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 three-dimensional. It's not flat. So Yeah, it's, I, d- I it's, don't
2: see so much as you competing with the original. I'm uh, not. You know, as just like, this is something completely different. If it's not for you, it's not for you.
3: Yeah, different. I mean... Just like different reasons between between Paul's serving boards and my scrapwood serving boards, uh, they're not on the same. Yeah, they're just. They're not on the, the same playing field. Yeah, they, right. right. They <laughs>
2: may serve the same function, but they're
3: they're different things. You and, can put sushi on anything, right? <laughs> <it.
0: laughs> well, it darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lube and stuff
3: hi this is jeremy at johnson's hardware chuck was fired for being overly aggressive tired of people passing off original designs as their own do you have trouble telling what's real or not and don't want to get ripped off well johnson's has the perfect product for you johnson's counterfeit detection marker just like determining if a dollar bill is real with a marker swipe the marker all over any piece of furniture and it will reveal its true designer if it's blue the design is true if it's red move on instead if it's orange uh, it's time for a new marker get instant proof that you're buying legit designs marker may cause temporary color blindness do not use if allergic to eggs do not use on legal documents fruit or small children you can buy johnson's counterfeit detection marker right at the register for 14.99 to find out more visit patreon.com forward slash skills.
0: what well, the heck i need to get me one of them anyone know what street patreon is on i need to go all right it's time for crossbreeding paul what skill goes well with design?
1: Uh, is this different than the top five skills?
4: Yeah,
2: yeah. well. This is just okay. a quick possibly a quick one, one what, thing that skill- goes well with design. Uh,
1: goes well it with can be design. One of your top Well, five. how to m- m- the execution. I mean, if you don't know how to make the things you're dreaming up, you're beholden to someone else to make it for you and they may not do it the way you imagine or at the quality you mm. imagine, or on the timescale you imagine, or at the price point you imagine. Mm. So being able to realize your own design ideas is quite edifying. Uh,
0: I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of torn here. I'm not sure if execution is a skill. It's an action.
1: Well, it's a, it's a, it's a conglomeration of skills, right? Execution yeah, is... I mean, it's not as a,
2: common as it was at, like in the 18th century, but... True, true. I mean, there are skilled executioners.
3: <laughs> I mean, this very skilled.
0: The guillotiners the skilled. were definitely, you know, you had to learn that on the job.
2: Yeah, I mean, you don't want somebody up running around, half their head cut
3: off or anything. It's you got to. Can you imagine doing your first one, like you're a new guy? Kind of, t- kind of
2: tentative.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I mean, w- Paul could have said woodworking and and had the same point, but that wasn't as elegant. And I think well, his answer was it's better. an umbrella. You know, execution.
1: <laughs> I'm thinking it's an umbrella for many skills. But if you don't have that at your disposal, how do you realize your design ideas?
0: Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. we, we've let Tom get away with less. So we're going to move on. Tom, what, <laughs> what skill goes well with design?
3: Uh, design. Design goes really well with design
0: tom i'm not gonna tell oh, you this again that's Okay, a, you that's can't use one. the skill that you're talking that's about that. with the skill that you're talking about
2: how could you how could you I possibly design without design
0: right you need a separate skill you have to have for this it. segment tom <laughs> um, um, hmm
3: well since we've paired design with every skill we've ever done on this show uh, i would say any skill we've ever done on this yeah show, pick one pick one tom Oh, uh, sewing. Oh, good one. I like that one. And exactly how how does design design
0: go well with sewing, Tom?
3: I think it's obvious, PJ. Well, then you
0: should be easily able to explain it to me.
3: I don't want to bore our audience with having to explain this. rudimentary. They're already bored.
0: (laughs) They're already bored. Just go for it.
3: That's true. We're an hour and a half in. Nobody's listening anyway. Uh, No, I think... um, is, is iterating a skill? I think iterating's a skill.
0: It, uh... Yeah, it ends, I, I guess it you ends could ends say that.
3: that. Um, he said, yeah. He said, yeah, yeah. I guess. I'm okay. taking it. Okay, so
0: how does iterating go well with design? We've never
3: had follow-up questions in this segment. What is happening tonight? Your ability to iterate, your ability to take what you made and, and rethink it, even scrapping it completely... And, and starting over again and tweaking and changing and continuing and persevering. And that's just a big word I read on my Word of the Day toilet paper this morning, and I had to work it into a sentence.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Okay, Tanda. Thanks, man. What skill <laughs> goes well with design?
3: Glad to be here.
2: I was going to say reading, but I think I'm going to up the, up the <laughs> ante and, and say research. I think research goes well with, with design because I think that you kinda hit roadblocks and then you go and you you read about new materials or you read about new approaches or new ways of doing things and that that opens up your design.
0: I agree. I agree. And good answer, Tanda, by the way. Very complete. I don't have to follow up with any questions.
3: I was I was hopeful. <laughs> All right. Next segment. That was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. PJ, what, what goes well Oh, PJ, design. PJ, did you have something to add to that? Uh,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm going to go uh, old school and say drawing, you know? You, you want to get some, some designs out? Some quick sketches are the easiest way to go, you know? Down and dirty, yep. piece of paper and a pencil, you know? That's what I do sometimes. But um, it's a simple answer for a, a quick move along. Let's go. And now it's time for "Give Me Your Best Guest. Yeah. Give me your best Guest It's our favorite guest segment. We already know that design is your number one it's skill, our only Paul. Guest segment. Don't contradict me, Tom. Right in the middle of my opening statement. What's the matter with you? Oh, it's
2: it's huh? not a contradiction. It it is yep. our, our our best guest segment. It's our favorite it's fact. guest segment. It's also true that it's our only guest segment but
0: <sighs> Paul, we want to know your top 5 skill set. We know number 1, what is skill number 2 in, in, your, well, in your, your your repertoire?
1: I feel like I just touched on it, which is engineering. So, uh, you know, I'm a scientist mm-hmm. by training. That's my career. And so the analytical, the building, the troubleshooting comes very naturally to me. And so that uh, hand in hand with the design has really enabled me to realize those designs, which goes with my answer previously. I can look at something and I can just see in my head how how to make it. It just sort of comes to me naturally. And I really, really have a deep appreciation that I have that aptitude. You know, we're given certain aptitudes, I think, uh, when we're born and that's, one of mine. And I, I feel very lucky that I, that I can just see it. You know, people, my wife says to me, how do, you, how do you know how to make these things? And I, I, all I can say is, I can just see it in my head. I can rotate things in my head. I can, you, you, you guys are probably very similar, right? You can just kind of see, and you can rotate it in your head, and, and you get a sense for how to build it. So that, that, that's, I, that's my first answer.
0: I I had no idea that you worked on a train. How long have you been an engineer, Paul? Do they give you the cool striped cap?
1: (laughs) I don't know what to say to this. (laughs) Nonsense.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That was perfect.
0: Sidebar. Tom, Tanda. Yeah. Did he not just tell me he was an engineer, or did I hear it wrong? I could have sworn that's what he said. Yeah,
3: PJ... I believe PJ, he did say he was know an if you engineer. I not know this, but there are more than one type of engineer.
0: There, there's only and, one kind of train. To, what to, are you talking about?
2: Oh, no, there are many kinds of trains. Clear. There are narrow gauge trains. There are toy trains. There are. Oh, maybe he's trains. a toy train
0: engineer. I didn't realize that.
2: Yeah. yeah. Could be mm-hmm. a dance train mm-hmm. engineer.
0: Dance train? Was that like a train that's a transformer?
2: Well, that's like a conga line. Oh, uh,
0: <laughs> oh, geez. Well, we're yeah. we getting way off into I didn't even think about that.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't oh, know. He's I'm, got his hat. He's back.
0: Oh, 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 he's back. Uh, so, so, Paul, that was that was a that was an unexpected answer. I did not think that was one of your skills, but thank you for sharing that with us. What's skill number three?
1: Uh, I would say um, drawing, and that informs the, being able to develop skills for pyrography and engraving, and I use both of those extensively in my work. Really, to me, it's just it's all drawing. Right, if you can draw, you can do pyrography. You just instead of a pencil, you replace it with a hot tip, and instead of for metal engraving, you in, you know you have a carbide graver instead of a pencil. So to me, it's all the same. It's just the ability to draw translates into these other skills.
0: I, I think mm-hmm. that um, erasing with pyrography is a little bit trickier than than with a pencil, but it's, it's probably. It just takes a little longer. It's possible. You, you is have that to, a card you soak, your,
2: you soak your wood that's what with what That's uh, what
0: a tiny card scraper is
1: for.
2: Oh. Yeah. Soak your so wood with a little bit of card scraper I've ever kerosene, seen. and you can erase your project using pyrography.
0: Isn't kerosene flammable, Tanda?
2: Yeah, that's, how, that's what leads to erasing your project
0: oh. using pyrography. I think that's going the opposite direction, but but okay. Yeah, well, I think that's an important skill to have. Now, Paul, did you did you do any drawing prior to this, or did you learn it for this? My whole
1: life, I've been a doodler and a drawer, and it just now it, I take it somewhat more seriously and apply it to my pieces.
0: Uh, okay, well, we're, we're very familiar with that. Tom sometimes doodles during the podcast, but I cut it out, so no one hears it. All right, so let's go to to skill number four. Um, That would be um,
1: math and computer science. So, you know, I'm a scientist, so I I have a background in math and computer science, and that has allowed me to get into my CNC machine and Fusion 360. Um, It didn't, it wasn't so intimidating. Just that background allowed me to just approach the use of my CNC without too much trepidation, and I think I was a relatively quick study with it, which allowed me to avoid a lot of frustration and, you know, I just understand the way the machine works. I know what it's looking for. I understand Fusion 360. I mean, it was still a steep learning curve, but I sort of understood it intuitively and so I think my background in math and computer science, you know, helped me learn mm-hmm. that that
2: side of woodworking. I think sometimes I, when you have a skill like that where you've, you've done it yourself or you've actually built an application, then it, it just seems more intuitive because it's like, well, if I were going to put a drop down for that, I'd probably put it here or here. Or if I were going to do it, um, and so you you point at it and go, oh, it just seemed really natural and intuitive. And someone else is like, why? It seems totally unintuitive. But it's because you've had to create it for somebody else. And so you have this little sense of well, if I were making it, I would have put it here, but if you've never made it, you don't have that, that sense. So,
0: so Paul, you mentioned that you're a scientist several times. What, what type of science work do you do?
1: I'm a biologist by training. So for 10 years, I was in a laboratory during molecular and cellular uh, biology. And then uh, after that, I switched into a new field, uh, just a very young blossoming field at the time, which is called systems biology. And what that is, is computer science modeling, mathematical modeling of biology. So you sort of have to know a bit of both because you have to understand the biology to understand the problem and what's involved, but you have to understand differential equations and some of the the, the the math part to be able to build these models, build the mathematical models of these biological systems. So that's what I've done for the last, uh, now f- almost 15 years.
0: Mm. Oh, wow. it, it, it seems to me like, in my mind you're doing like these 3d representations of like complex molecules that you know map out these really crazy shapes that we don't see in reality how come you don't translate that into the things that you're doing like the intricate designs we see like how come there's no molecule Maybe he sushi board you just you know? don't
2: recognize it you know what that is such a
1: good question. Why haven't I brought biology into woodworking? And I've asked myself that a hundred times. And I have, on one or two times, I have a double helix in a in a sushi board, and uh, you know, a little bit. But I just haven't found the right way to integrate biology with woodworking yet. But I bet hexagons. there's but I bet there's a, an audience <laughs> for it if I were to.
3: Oh, definitely, hexagons. definitely. All those molecules look like hexagons molecules is more chemistry though isn't it no geeks Maybe. geeks love sushi so so there's and the, you do have
2: a board that's called the bear turd that's biological that was just a massive mess
1: up that was the <laughs> biggest mistake ever
2: <laughs> well, I, I, I would have I bought you. it if it wasn't sold out to just because it made me laugh when I saw it on your website oh Tenda
1: it doesn't exist anymore I think I, I I destroyed it so I got this big <laughs> giant I got this giant uh oak burl and I was at the early stage of my in my uh, design development career where I thought, "Oh yeah, let's you know this giant burrow will look great as a as a sushi board, nice and organic." And when I made this thing, it looked like a giant bear turd. I it, <laughs> I hated it. It looked like a giant bear. <laughs> and I'm like, "No one wants to eat food off this. This is disgusting. It's revolting. <laughs> like, what the what was I thinking? You know, I was so." myself and i wound up like just just absolutely destroying the wood and just like cannibalizing it and so the the sushi board you see is just tiny little remnants of the original bear turd cut Ah. into like little tasteful triangles because the original bear turd doesn't exist
0: anymore like cub droppings (laughs) this this brings up a very interesting question you seem to have an intimate knowledge of um bear excrement paul would you like to explain that to the audience uh, no, thank you. Please. Okay. Move on. <laughs> yeah, let's go on to skill number five. Hit us with the okay. last one.
1: It's hand tools. Um, you know, for woodworkers, I cannot I cannot stress enough the importance of getting an old school fundamentals education in hand tools. They are the great equalizer. No matter what problem you have no matter what goes wrong, no matter what the machine, if it was out of whack or not tuned properly, if any mistake, a hand tool can fix it if you commit to hand tools. And I mean chisel work and hand planes and uh, spoke shaves. Um, Hand tools are, for me, what takes the piece from you know, sort of rudimentary coming off my machines. My machines aren't like these trophy machines, you know, they just got to get me in the ballpark. It's the hand tools that bring it up to that, you know, that level that you want for fine furniture.
0: So, so you, do you have a favorite hand tool that you work with? Uh,
1: yes, actually I do recently. I bought a high end um, plane from Conrad Sauer. So it's Sauer and Steiner. This is a, an old fashioned uh, infill hand plane, the way they used to be made. Um, it's more a piece of art that also happens to be a hand plane. Hmm. But this hand plane, uh, you know, it, it costs It's very a lot.
2: unique. I mean, I realize people listening can't see it, but it does not look like any it other looks, hand plane I've seen in terms of design. Yes.
1: It looks more like a race car in a way. Like it's inspired by his love yeah. of Porsche. Uh,
2: ah. Uh, uh, yeah, but Conrad, is yeah.
1: he's in love with Porsche, the lines, and he's an artist. And he happens to devote his career to making hand planes. But at the same time, while it's beautiful to look at, this is the most... Oh my God, my compressor just went off. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry about that. My compressor just went off. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, while it happens to be the most beautiful... We wouldn't think
2: you were an actual woodworker if if you didn't have a compressor going off in the background.
1: Yes. While it happens to be beautiful, infill, these,
2: these old school
1: infill hand planes are absolutely the most functional tool ever. Uh, the, the mouth on these planes is so tight you almost can't see light through it. And the, it's bedded at a higher angle. And the way that the lever cap holds the blade means there's just no chatter at all. There's no tear out you can use this on anything curly maple you you name it it doesn't tear out and so this has quickly become my favorite hand tool it's
0: very nice it's very nice well i'm glad that i asked that question because now um i need a race car hand plane
2: (laughs) i'm I'm (coughs) i'm just thinking uh you know if if hand tools are a must i'm i'm thinking of a parody of one of paul's instagram shorts where i have a little tear out or a little chip in the corner of a piece of furniture and and the video starts with me taking my chisel out and it's it's beautiful and it's sharp and i I feel the blade to ensure that it's sharp and then i open a can of wood putty with it and put it on the <laughs> 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 that, that 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 would be my uh you know my my take on it I, I, I definitely appreciate the people who make amazing, amazing stuff. I'm not sure I have the patience to do something that I can't then hand off to a machine to do the work for me.
0: Was that our best guess? I don't know, but it was a guess. All right, it's time for short and sweet before we go to the secret segment. Paul, do you have anything you want to say to wrap up the show? Well,
1: there's there's two um, there's two topics I thought we could touch on briefly, which is reasons we avoid tackling original design. So I would ask the three of you if you could give me maybe think of a reason why have you avoided and I and I have a list as well. Why have you avoided diving into more of your own original designs?
3: Well, I've when I you posed this question and I've been thinking about it uh, behind the scenes here, and I think of people that buy plans for furniture or projects, and I think that's great. I think there's a need for that. I think there's a place for that. It's never been my thing because I just I just don't like being told what to do, um, and I'd rather wing it. Not that what I create is better than those plans the, than what those plans would create, um, but I just can't. I don't have the I feel like I don't have the patience for following a plan to at. Does that fit into what you mean here? Um Well, for example,
1: if you want mm-hmm. if you say I need a this, I need a table. right. Do you design it like aesthetically, completely from scratch yourself?
3: No, why not? I not Why not? So I actually thought about this also during the show when I wasn't paying attention, I'm like, I want to, I was like thinking of farm, like a farmhouse. If you go on Pinterest and type in like farmhouse furniture, you're going to see a lot of painted white legs with like a wood top. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I kind of want to do that, but not that I want to create that same. Like you'll look at it and be like, is that farmhouse furniture? Like, is that, you know, you'll like kind of question it, but and again, I have no answer to like how it would, it would actually look like, but um, let's just say it would look more elegant than the chunky, which is cool. I like it. It's all good, right, but it, it would be it would be different, and I think one way to do it is to thin it all out um but keep those cross members, so to speak, or keep some elements, but you're right, I don't naturally think, oh, let me just rethink let me reinvent the wheel for this pe- this coffee table and
1: I guess Tom, my question is why not? You know what? What what is holding us back? That's my question. Because mm. I I have a list of five things that I think is holding us back. But I sort of was curious what you what you think maybe holds you back from trying it in your own life.
3: I don't think I could answer it. I'd love to hear your answer. Well, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's something that I'm going to write on my wall and want to do every time now. Though I think now one that thing, I'm aware of it, that
2: one thing that might hold people back, um, and I don't know. Um, exactly how to phrase this, but I think that, um, the thought of why after all of the years of people making tables would, would my idea, I mean, if you were in a vacuum, you just go do your idea. But I think we want some kind of acceptance or somebody to say, oh man, that is amazing. And that fear of why would my idea stand out among tables for the last three centuries?
1: Yeah. And Um, I, I call that imposter syndrome. I think that's, yeah, I think that, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's one of, that's one of mine. Go, go ahead, please. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Do I have any original ideas? Um, and I don't know, I tend to come up with like crazy. I mean, if you, and that's probably my lack of design, um, education, you know, nothing comes to mind when I have, um, not that that's stopping me that's allowing me to you know if my prompt is is you know farmhouse furniture i'm thinking oh okay like a shaped metal seat from a harrow on a on a spring that uh you, that come juts out from around all of the table you know i, I what what would you make from an old farmhouse into furniture um but i don't i don't think that stops me so maybe i'll let pj come up with one um while I'm thinking of some other things that might might stop me or other people from from approaching design just from an original
0: my answer is very simple. It's space. That that's it. I'm designing things on a small scale all the time. But to design something original that's like a piece of furniture or anything that's sizable, I don't have space. I don't I don't and I mean that in in, in every sense of the word I don't have, like, my, my table saw has not been moved out from the wall sure, but since I bought it a year and a yeah, half but, ago. But original you could draw design. Design. We're not
3: just talking about, yeah. huh? you Huh?
0: Original could
2: draw, design,
3: you could doesn't design doesn't really have you a could size. Draw, uh, draw
2: something.
0: When everybody talks at once, I can't yeah, hear no. you. <laughs> Ta- Paul, you go first.
1: I was going to say original design doesn't have a, a size requirement. It could be the tiniest object. It could be a large object. The question is, why haven't you pursued your own novel designs and what is holding I, I you back? Have
0: my own, I have my own novel designs. But okay. my, my, I guess the, the, to answer the question that wasn't answered that I sort of hinted at, I design things when I'm going to make them. And I, I'm not going to design something that's too big for me to make when I don't have the space to either make it or, and or store it. Like my house right now is full. Like the furniture that's in here, it's full. Mm. So if I, even if I made something out in the driveway, there's nowhere to put it in my house. There's nowhere right. to store it. That's in. not so
2: the point, though. I wonder if that ties in, though. I mean, I wonder if more generally that could be said in people don't do original designs because they don't feel like they have um, the execution tool set or the tools they need to to execute their original design they they work from plans or they copy some other design that gives you a recipe because if you do an original design you might need to make something that's never been made before or use a material in a way that it hasn't been used before and maybe they fear you know running into roadblocks that that keep them from doing that whether that's space or having the right tool or the right things in their shop or something they're like well if I follow this recipe I know I have all of that but if I veer from the recipe I might need something I don't have
0: that's that's not my problem Uh, like I said I'm making things on a very on a micro scale I'm making the the bandsaw knobs and I'm making parts for tools and like I've I've started I've currently I have two different light switch designs that are for, for sale but they're copies of originals but I'm making them first so that I can then get to like once I have sort of like a little uh, a catalog then I'm going to I have plans for original switch plate designs that don't exist that are the same size they're in the same the same style they're art deco but they've never been made before they're my own Um, so they're they're on the schedule like they're gonna be produced on that small scale but specifically with the space requirement, I, I'm, I'm purposefully not designing original content that's too large well, for me to but, man- manufacture right
2: now. Right. But what's, what's keeping – what's between the, the Delta Art Deco switch plates and knobs and just going, you know, I'm going to make what I think is the perfect bandsaw knob – with my own artistic something on it and all. And I know that's your intention down the road, but what's what's between where you're at now and there that's keeping you from just yeah, saying, I'm gonna so start literal. doing that tomorrow.
0: Is- I, I, I tell you what's keeping me. I'm learning the software. I'm learning how to use Fusion. Mm. So I'm, I'm copying things that I can physically see that exist mm. or that some, some part of them already <laughs> exist so that I have somewhat of a, of a roadmap. And then once I, like every time I design something, I learn a little bit more of the program and where I can push it a little bit more. Or if I need to go watch a video mm. that teaches me how to use some tool in the program that I've not used. And so I'm right now, I'm building the skill sets right. needed. You're getting, good to, at,
2: you're getting good at the execution.
0: Yes. And so then once yeah. I get to that point where I could just think of something and then just do it. I don't need to look it up. I don't need to ask you or Tom a question. That's when... The original designs are just they're just gonna start popping out because I, it's it's going straight from brain to screen and there's no delay. And right now I have that delay. There's a mm. lot of, like I said, when I when I was designing that dust shroud for the spindle sander, there was so many problems I ran into because I've never done a design like that that had crazy angles compared to everything else. And I, I probably have made, I don't know 30, 35 different things. And I come to this, and it's completely like out of my wheelhouse. And I have, I have a design that is exactly like that. That I thought of um, Ben and I. Ben, Ben makes KC, and I came up with this idea um, last year, uh, roughly around this time. And he's still waiting for me to make it. He's like, dude, when are you gonna do it? And it's, it's that there's, I have like 60 percent. Of the tools needed to design it properly, I know that if I started doing it now, it would take me five times longer than when I actually know everything I need to know. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so that's Interesting. that's where. So that to answer your question, I'm in that learning phase. That's why I'm not specifically right. doing a yep. lot of original and I, content. I wonder
2: if I wonder if people get reason. I wonder if people get blocked on doing original design because it may require reaching out to a mentor or to someone else for help. And when you're doing your original design and it's in your head, you don't want, you want the help and the learning um, on something that's open source, if you will, or already out there. Because when you start doing your original design until it's ready to unleash on the world, You don't want to be asking people for help and having other opinions or people saying, why are you doing it that way? Why don't you just make a table like everybody else is making a table? Is there, I mean, is that touching on any of yours, Paul, that you have on your list? Yeah, so I have a list
1: of of five things that I
2: think you've touched on a few of them that I think
1: crystallize our hesitancy to tackle original design, okay? Number one, uh, execution is difficult, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. That's number one.
4: Yeah
1: because you don't feel like you're ready to design until you can just even learn how to execute things at their most fundamental levels. PJ, that was your answer. I don't mm-hmm. know enough execution that I feel like, okay, I got this. Now I can move on to design. Like you, That's exactly your answer. Good. Mm-hmm. Tom, you had a point?
3: Uh, I lost it though.
1: Okay. It, uh, just stop me if you come going. back to I'm sorry. it. Okay, so number one. Yeah. yeah, so you have to get good enough. Woodworking is really difficult. And so it could take a decade, it could take two decades to get just execution under your belt. And meanwhile, when did you have time to handle design? Right? That's why we buy plans. Mm-hmm, right. Because we're like, I'm gonna punt on design. I'm having a hard enough time just making stuff. Right? So that, that I think is the first reason. The second reason is fear of failure and ego. And this mm-hmm. is an uncomfortable one. We don't, a lot of people don't like to fail. We don't like to feel washed up. We don't if someone touched on what would people say about my design, you know, in a mm-hmm. field that's well trodden, what would people how would they reflect? I mean, who cares what people say? I don't care what people say. I mean, if they don't like it, they don't like it. But you have to somehow get to that point with yourself, that you you, you realize your ego is often wrapped up in the success and failure and acceptance of a design. And that often holds us back because we're scared. We're scared to stick our neck out, quite frankly. Mm-hmm.
0: That, that's three. definitely not not us. If you look at, if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know <laughs> the three of us fail all the time, and it's very public. He's not defining us. Yeah. He's defining everybody. we are perfecting the <laughs> execution of failure. Yeah. So, and uh, I, I, dude, I love failing at stuff because that's the point where I can learn something. When something mm-hmm. fails, I'm like, oh, okay, I could do this better now. And, and I, 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 I
2: don't. It, I can honestly say, I, I abhor failing at things if someone invites me to go out to do something new I will go off and study it between the time that they asked me mm-hmm. and then so that I don't feel like I know nothing about it and I'm total novice at it um, and I don't know if that's I mean I just I I I've told people in the past because I'm constantly learning new things and I've told people that I genuinely am constantly learning learning new things because I'm embarrassed that I don't know everything which is ridiculous but in my mind I'll open Mm -hmm. up a book or something and I'll read about some esoteric scientific something whatever it is or I'll be reading a patent and I'll be like never heard of that before why have I never heard of that before and I have this kind of sense of embarrassment that I don't know and I'll just and I'll go off and study it and it's just a weird you know it's not like I, I like being a know-it-all or something. I am gen- genuinely have this sense of embarrassment that I don't know something when I come across it.
0: So, so you remember early in the podcast, Paul mentioned marquetry, and what was my response? Is that is that inlay? Is that what you're talking about? I completely, just right out of the box, I'm like, I don't know what that is. I don't know the word. I know mm-hmm. what the physical thing is because I've seen it hundreds of times. But when I don't know something... Th- to me, t- I have zero shame for this kind of stuff. I'm not embarrassed about any of it. I don't I, care what anybody. Yeah, it's thinks. not.
2: It, yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. Like I, in that same situation, no, I couldn't... would I would write that down, and I would go off when we're done here and spend two hours reading about it and be like, oh, there's a whole world I didn't even know about. That you know, that's really interesting, or whatever. And maybe that's a scientist yeah. thing or something. But um, I just. You know, it's like, oh, I've got to go. There's something else to go learn. Okay.
3: Yeah. Number three. Was that number
2: three? Yeah, no, that no. was
1: two. Number three, I don't think we prioritize yeah, learning. Oh, sorry, Tom, did you want to comment?
3: No, no, no. Okay. Go ahead. No, I was waiting number for Number
1: three, I don't think we prioritize learning design or know how to approach it. Everyone prioritizes learning like, oh, uh, craig jig and pocket screws and dovetails. And we, we prioritize learning all the uh, mortise and tenon, you know, all this stuff. Why don't we ever prioritize design? You never hear about people saying, yeah, let's, uh, I'm going to offer a class on good furniture design, right? It's always like a class on how to cut better dovetails or Kumiko, right? It's like, we don't prioritize it as a maker field. And so I think that is tough because Mm. you're sort of always feel out in left field on your own. How do I get into this?
3: Yeah, I agree with that. And I th- I there's,
2: feel there's like no design like design that, is really. kind of out there on your own. But maybe maybe those you know those those rules of good design are something you could have a class on. You probably yes, couldn't I, teach how to break them properly to do your own design, but you could at least teach the rules of good design. Is that I think it true? In our
1: if in our execution centric area of makerspace. We, don't, we think we're out, you're out on your own if you're doing design. You're like lost in the cold out on your own. I think in art school, you're, not, uh, you're absolutely in with a bunch of people who are right. all about design, in classes about mm-hmm. design, talking about design left, right, and center. So it's not that you can't prioritize it or that the material or the approaches don't exist. It's that we don't talk about it in our disciplines. Mm. And I think that's sort of a mm-hmm. failure on our part to be more creative, merging fields.
2: Right, interesting.
1: Uh, number four, we like to disqualify ourselves. I'm not an artist. I mean, how many times have I heard that? Mm-hmm. I'm not. An I'm artist. definitely an I'm artist. Not a, I'm you am know, I'm, I'm you're not if you don't right? like imposter syndrome. You say you aren't. It's imposter syndrome. We disqualify it. Tanda, you touched on it earlier. What could what on earth could I add to a table? I mean, tables have been made how many times, right? You're disqualifying yourself from the very beginning. And if you do that, it's hard to even be in the right state of mind to say, I'm going to make an original contribution in terms of design to something.
0: And so I, my, my answer to that is stop caring about what everybody else thinks. That's, I'm saying that would stop thing.
2: people. It wouldn't stop me from making them, you know, yeah. whatever, right. you know, three-legged no, no, j- table I might make. But I think that that does right. stop people. Right. And the, the you, last thing. Oh, go
0: ahead. No, what I was going to say is a lot of people get stuck on what others are going to think. And when it's, when it comes to designing things, you can't design something based on what you think others will like. That's the right. wrong way to go. You have to design things on what you find fascinating because that's where the breakthroughs are going to be. And as long as you – like if you look at something and go – Man, this looks like a piece of garbage, but I see other people buying it, so I'm going to make some so I could sell it. You're just putting garbage out there. But when you make something, you go, man, I don't even know if I want to sell this. This is so good. I think I'm just going to keep it in my house. That's the stuff that's going to go. That's Mm -hmm. the stuff that people are going to want. Because you're making something that has a value that hasn't been observed before or that has some sort of personal twist on it that gives it your stamp. And that's where you're going to excel. That's that's where all innovation comes from, is from someone found something so interesting and fascinating. They devoted time and effort to design it.
1: That's an awesome point. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The fifth is um, it's all been done before. Nothing's new. Hmm. What do I have to design? It's all been done. And I like in this question, there's, there's a reason I think this happens is, number one, if you digest a, a diet of nothing but other people's woodworking, that's what you're going to think about is other people's woodworking. If you digest a diet of art, painting, glassware, ceramics, drawing, cartoons, um, metalwork, engraving, if you take in all the arts in a much broader sense, and think about how could I recast some of these ideas in my own lexicon of woodworking that it turns out you go from thinking it's all been done because all you you eat is a diet of the same old 20 woodworking projects of all your friends on Instagram your whole feed is nothing but the same 20 things reimagined 20 different you know to you go from like a yeah. closed-off mindset to like if you open your mind up to art, suddenly it feels like nothing's been done before. Oh my God, we've barely scratched the surface of creativity Mm -hmm. in woodworking. And suddenly you have more ideas than you know what to do with. And so that coincides with me unfollowing almost all my woodworker friends on Instagram and only following artists in all a huge variety of other disciplines. And since I sort of made that switch, I've had just infinite inspiration for like ideas about how to reimagine you know things from other disciplines in the woodworking
2: it's set. it's interesting because mm-hmm. i've uh, um, i've shouted out someone that i have learned a lot of little tidbits from on mold making and casting um on youtube and i followed them on instagram and it's nothing but paintings you i mean you have no i mean it's like two separate people um and I guess, you know, that he uses one medium for exhibiting his painting and his, you know, this other stuff that he does. And YouTube is mold making and, figu- you know, like little figurines and stuff. So. so, PJ, we're running long
1: in the tooth here, and um, I assume, yes
0: yes yes and it's all your fault paul go ahead no that was that was a very good segment (laughs) so you Um. know there's one last
1: thing that i want to touch on and we can go real fast through it i'll read off seven top seven things and if you want to comment on any of them after i'm done please do but then people often say well what are your sources of inspiration then okay we talked about why we're hesitant and now it's like well that's the problem how do we solve the problem where do you get ideas from and i think I'm gonna go through seven ideas, places where I found uh, inspiration from, and I'm just gonna stop after that and you can make you know quick comment and we can wrap up. Number one, the design inspiration, it starts with sort of copying and it evolves iteratively from copying, right? And it's like, you see something you like, you figure out how they did it, and then you sort of move it a step or two away from that. And then what you start to do is you start to combine that with other ideas and you start to integrate you know, things together, and, and it, as, it, as it iterates, you know, you guys use the word iteration a lot, which I like, is design is iterative. So it starts with a, an original seed of an idea. It might be something you saw, and you iterate it, right? Number two, nature can inspire design. Tom, your little froggy thing, your little froggy holder, right? That is nature. Frog <laughs> pot. <laughs> That's your little, your little gecko holder, right? That's nature-inspiring yeah. design. Think about Carl Fabergé and his eggs right? Who would have thought eggs could be that awesome? Right? The, yeah. All right. So Nate, I, every, we, we are hardwired to love nature. Shells, Fibonacci patterns, leaves, everything in nature is just beautiful. To us. So if, if you're really kind of struggling to look for inspiration, I always think about nature as a great place to start three questions can inspire design one of the questions i had early on was is there a shape that humans prefer more than another shape is there a shape that we just instinctively find beautiful if we look at it and then i went into the research uh the research literature on uh, aesthetic preference and i asked is it round shapes is it square shapes
0: yeah and
1: uh there's a whole literature about the preference of humans for curvilinear versus rectilinear design. So that is curves versus hard angles. And that got me Mm -hmm. into what I call the Stady Collection, which is all curves. And the answer from the literature was that humans overwhelmingly prefer curves over hard angles. And I thought, well, shit, if that's the case, why do we make everything square? Right? If the literature shows... Have
2: you you read this case, not to totally derail it, of... These these natives who live among nature, who design their houses and everything, you know, based on nature, and they don't even register or see or have words for things like corners Hmm. Um, Hmm. because they don't appear very often in in nature or cubes um, are, you know, on some molecular scale they do. But you often, you know, don't see that unless it's some kind of crystal or something. That's a great but point. To the point that they're so unfamiliar with, right. with that aesthetic that they don't even recognize it. And I think the quick answer to that question is why do
1: we make so many things square? Is because it's easy to make. Curves are difficult, right? And I mm-hmm. think that, that it's ease of, of, of fabrication. But um, So that inspired a whole design line uh, on my website. I call it the Stadia Collection because it's all based on the stadium shape, which is a half circles connected by straight lines, like a pill shape. And mm-hmm. you know that the collaboration I did with Keith Johnson you had on a couple weeks ago, right. is yep. the Stadia whiskey cabinet, and it's, that was inspired by just the question: Is there a shape that humans prefer? Right. So that's a th- number three. Number four: other forms of art can inspire design. Why don't we take painting? Why don't we take ceramic and swirl it into the things we make somehow? Right. So I'm mm-hmm. always looking at other art forms to try and. Uh, incorporate it and collaborate with other artists and that brings me to number five collaborations can lead to design breakthroughs so i do a ton of collaborations and you don't have to go design alone everyone thinks they have to do it all themselves you know sometimes i can get like 70 percent of the way through a good design but i kind of stall out i'm sort of out of ideas but if i'm collaborating often that other person can like intersperse chunks of great design that motivate me to go further like keith you're working mm-hmm. with keith and so collaborations can often be very helpful getting over like design blocks in your own mind oh yeah and, definitely because you and, have and, this and,
2: continual narrowing based on your own experience and skills that's it and someone else can open that back up to as wide as it was when you started yes and, and so that yeah. that's
1: what i find so refreshing about collaborations uh, number six, innovation and in technology can inspire design. You guys know that all about your 3D printing. For me, my CNC has opened up a totally new world for me. So that's mm-hmm. let, let's not do this puritanical thinking like, oh, I only use you know hand tools you know the way they did and let's garbage. let let's use anything that's available to us to make a more interesting, more you know p- a piece that moves someone, right? And the final thing is marketing, I think, in some cases, can inspire design. Um, I made these everyday carry trays or EDC trays, and that was based on a marketing idea. I was looking at the everyday carry field, you know, these little trinkets and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, knives and things people like to carry in their pockets. And I noticed as I was looking at this, there was no fine woodworking in that field at all. None that I could tell Mm. there's woodworking, but it's not like fine woodworking, like, you know, really like kind of higher, you know? And I thought, geez, maybe I should try making something and see if like that resonates with that community. And so I made these trays that they can put all their like gear on. And that started me, I made 30 everyday carry trays. And I put them at a, you know, I, I put a lot into each one. Each one was at a price point between 250 and $450 each tray. And they all Mm -hmm. thirty sold in like no time at all. And what that taught me was like, first of all, I could see a niche. I could see a niche that could be filled by a unique skill set. And I used that to drive the design ideas. I said, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see if my marketing idea is correct. And the only way to try it is to make these trays and see if they sell. And so it was a marketing experiment, and that drove the design. So there's so many different ways that I've tried. To, mm-hmm. to have, you know, design ideas come at me. And I just wanted to share those seven with you to see if, you know, any of those
3: resonate.
0: Those are all good points. That's awesome. All good points.
3: That's awesome.
2: Yeah, I think that looking at other things, I mean, I know I read a lot of technical literature, um, just partly because I like to learn new things, but I'm always reading it with a mindset of how could I apply this completely... Seem or seemingly unrelated um, material science property to making something that that people haven't made before. What what's unique about the property of this thing I'm reading about that's used for you know something in some scientific field that could be used to make a different paint or to make a different right. you know to to make something that's radically different than the way people are using it like kind of how how could i how could i abuse this how could i use this in a way that uh people would go that's not what that's for
0: you know I, i i think that it's not really that hard to to get inspiration for these kinds of things i think people don't really put the effort into looking like the when when paul started talking about this like the first thing that popped into my head is if you want to make a, a table that doesn't look like a normal table, start looking up pictures of anything steampunk, which is all, you know, it's basically like all brass and copper tubing and, and gauges and all these things, you know, that look just, you know, like from there a hundred years ago, but in the future. And if you took anything steampunk and tried to make it out of wood, like if you tried to make a steampunk-inspired wood table – you'd have a wood table like nobody's ever made before. It would oh, look completely yeah. unique because there that is a design dense category. There is so much stuff there that's overbuilt super super simple. Like it's it's basically like gears and pipes and cylinders. I mean it's nothing complicated. But they're right. arranged in such a way that it's almost like a three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle. And it's so dense. If you just take like 30% of that and add it into a table, all of a sudden you've got this thing that's never existed before that's totally original because it's your interpretation of it. And that's just one area. You know what I mean? Like there's so many other areas. Like he was saying, Paul was saying, you know, you can dig into art and pull the art into whatever it is you're making. That's another whole, like you've got thousands of years of art you can pour into. The The one thing that I was thinking about, um, which I I started to talk about, but somebody else came up with something else. When Paul was talking about the biological aspect, there's a book that I meant to buy years ago, which my, my brother showed me a picture of, and I, I, I haven't looked for it since. But there is a guy that has a... It's a photographic book that is... They're pictures of snowflakes, and when I when I say pictures, I mean these are snowflakes under a microscope, and you're looking at the crystalline mm-hmm. structure. And the entire book is full of these. And if you if you see this, it is like a a gateway to design madness. They, there's every single picture is completely different. You know you know how they say like every snowflake is different that's not an exaggeration like every crystalline structure looks completely unique and i have always wanted to get that book and start designing things based off of just these snowflakes and it it doesn't sound like a lot until you see it when you see it it's just like i i didn't have any idea it looks like uh like you're looking at molecules but Mm like uh, well let me let me take that back when you look at like a drone shot of a city from the top down, where you see all the streets and the buildings. Now imagine that, but imagine it's like made out of crystals. That's what it looks like. It looks like you're looking at this map of like this crystalline city. And then you turn the next page and it's like a completely new city. And it just keeps going and going and going. And
2: That'd be uh, an interesting that- design prompt. Just open Google, Google Maps and and look at some area of Earth from... 30,000 feet and then design something that looks like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if I were designing a table, I would just say what is the essence of a table? It has to hold something at a height that this companion thing called a chair, if I'm sitting on it, I can I can work on it at this thing called a table. And that and that's that's all I have to do. I just to ha- attend- I have to make a surface that I can work on something or eat at. And there's a companion thing called a chair that has to put me at a comfortable height to do so. And then that can be anything.
1: So that's a, that's a function forward design approach. Uh, Function dictates the design. Whereas PJ, you were saying the snowflake. I love that. Imagine if you made those like a floor, like a standing cabinet with like inlaid snowflake type designs down the doors I mean that would be so beautiful and so mm-hmm. unique. And I mean, the whole shape be, could even it would be stunning. snowflake shaped. It would be stunning. You could even integrate glass. You know, maybe some of the panels of the snowflake are into you know in, inlaid glass. But mm-hmm. so that's like that's like a nature idea inspired you know design essence. So whether it's function that pushes you towards a design or a snowflake, yeah, I I feel like you need something to start the story of designing. And mm-hmm. it starts you moving on a path. I, I love it. I love. I love that.
0: All right, we've been talking about this for a while. We're two hours and ten minutes in, and we still got to do the secret segment. So, I, that, I'm that gonna... was
2: that was far and away our longest short and sweet segment. Yes. But it yes, was probably that... far and away our best
3: short and sweet segment. That that was uh, sure, that yeah. was long and savory. For sure. I'm gonna say. Yeah. I yield my time to the gentleman from Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I yeah. thought he said he was from Boston. Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so <laughs> I'm just gonna say uh, I'm I'm gonna thank our our Patreon supporters, uh, our very own Tanda and Creator Nader. And if you would like to be a Patreon member, you know the deal. Go to patreon.com forward slash makerskills and sign up. And uh, we're about to go do the secret segment now, which only our Patreon members hear. So, get on it, people. we welcome any comments please leave us five star reviews on apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way see you next time